Okay then. One, two. Testing, testing. One, two. Shakedown, shakedown. One, two. Recorded from the bedroom of his parents' house in Oxfordshire, this is the F1 More Thing podcast with your host, a man whose skin has seen notable improvements and whose hair is coming along nicely, thanks for asking. It's Joe Pilbrow. Hello and welcome to F1 More Thing, a podcast diving deep into the worlds of politics, current affairs and the stock markets in a time that is arguably one of the most exciting times for politics, current affairs and the stock markets in history. No, not really. It's a podcast about cars going well faster than that. And whether you've just got into Formula One or have been a fan for decades, this, luckily for us, is a time that has to be one of the most exciting times for the sport in its history. Sexy new regulations, sexy new cars, new race directors who I'm sure are very attractive if that's your thing. Tracks added back onto the calendar post-COVID and most importantly, some team kits that make it look as if the drivers are boxing up Happy Meals or trying to sell you a BMX. As mentioned in the Formation Yap, I'm hoping to put out regular episodes of this podcast following each race weekend. Going to be a bit of a challenge. I've got a normal job. I I work for most of the week, but I'm going to have a go at it. It might just turn out that the podcast for the last race comes out uh, just before the next one, but that'll have to do. For now, though, I thought it would be a good idea to use this episode as a sort of time capsule before it all goes a bit crazy. Um, we're going to look over some of the premonitions, the rumours, the expectations that F1 fans and myself have conjured up throughout all of the car reveals and the testing sessions that we've had over the last couple of weeks in both Barcelona and Bahrain. And this time next year, we can take a look back at the complete inaccuracy of it all and question how Mercedes won to every race and won the championship by more than ever. Deal. Let's do it. But first, a quickfire livery check. On the 4th of February, Haas were the first to reveal their new groundbreaking design, a never-seen-before colour scheme that will revolutionise the sport and the way that designers will approach future cars. It's changed the game in the same way that it did last year, funnily enough. It was essentially the same as 2021, but to be completely fair, it was slightly improved by the added black and matte finish made it better by like the smallest of increments. It's sort of like when someone beats someone to Q2 by thousands of a second. It was a livery that was 0.001 of a second better than last year. And F1 is supposed to be about small margins. It doesn't have to necessarily be the small margins on the track, but also the ones in the designer sketchpad. Thank you Haas for teaching us that lesson. And to carry on the metaphor, the livery was then removed from qualifying altogether because all of its paint came from a DIY shop with questionable financial and moral links. So, after an intense period of time for the team with the title sponsor and a driver gone at short notice, the outcomes may actually have surprisingly been desirable for the team, allowing not just a livery that looks far better, just the white, just the red, no blue, regardless of whether you think that looked like a flag, it did, it looks better. But it also allows K-Mag to rejoin the team. Everybody liked that. And he can become a solid benchmark for M. Shu. 
Overall, the livery for me marks six Fox Smash doors out of ten. On the 9th, Red Bull were the second to reveal their new groundbreaking design, a never-seen-before colour scheme that will revolutionise the sport and the way that designers will approach future cars. It's changed the game in the same way that it did last year. It's essentially the same as the one we've seen for the last however many years, but to be completely fair, it has been improved with the added sponsor names and a massive yellow nose. Maybe someone's made the mistake of asking the car whether Red Bull would ever change their livery. The car has said yes, and the more it lies, the longer it gets, and the closer it gets to becoming a banana boat or just turning into a Renault. Rumour has it that Jiminy Cricket has been hired as Verstappen's race engineer. For me, I think the massive Bybit logo kind of ruins the look, so I actually prefer the updated Haas. I prefer the Haas over the Red Bull. It feels a bit odd to say that, but it's a 5 Simply Lovelies out of 10. On the 10th, Aston Martin revealed their actual car rather than just renders or show cars that the other two teams did. This year, we've got added lime green, and the search is still ongoing for people who disliked that. It does make me wonder, though, about teams that seem not to have anything to hide about their car, whether that means that they, they're just open, openly accepting that they don't think they found anything special in the regulations, they don't need to hide it from anybody. Or maybe they just, you know, they just have faith in Formula 1 teams up and down the grid that no one ever copies another team's car. And me personally, I can't think of any examples of that, so they must be right. I did actually like the pink on it last year. I thought a lot of people said they hated it, but I quite liked it. The lime green looks great, and it is an improvement. And I think I'm right in saying that when we saw it in Bahrain, they've added a few little black bits here and there to it, and that makes it look even better. You can't beat a bit of Aston Green. The shape of the nose gives me sort of 2017 Mercedes vibes, weirdly. Just the shape of it, and the way it arches down towards the wing. And the front wing sort of reminds me of a, a mid-noughties car with how high it is. It's ridiculous. And we also, for the first time, got to see some louvres on the side of the car. And, as you know, these will be used for cooling throughout a race, especially the hot race. They'll open up various vents and untape certain parts of the louvres to cool the engine. And they will be used at the US Grand Prix to mock up a barbecue. Mark my words. On the 11th, McLaren revealed their sort of mismatch of the Golf livery and the IndyCar design in one car. For me personally, has to be one of the biggest growers of the livery so far. I looked at it for a while and I wasn't sure about it at first. I think the more you look at it, the more it makes sense. Um, in Bahrain, they added some black and some sponsors to the top of it, which improves it a bit. And then the day before the first practice session of the season, they've announced a brand new partnership with um, an underground up and coming company called Google, hope I've pronounced that right. Um, I think they're sort of a tech company, from what I from what I've read. They uh, make a web browser, something like that, something like Internet Explorer, I'd assume. Um, I've never heard of them, but hopefully with the McLaren sponsorship, they can get their name out a bit. Good on McLaren and Zach Brown for supporting the little guy. I do actually like the idea of the chrome wheels. To be fair, it's uh, it's going to look like the car is buffering for a lot of the race. But maybe it'll be the case that the 
drivers, maybe Lando and Daniel, will be extra good at defending this year because they take up a lot more space than any other thing around. And if you hate jokes like that, then turn me off now, save yourself, and just put the news on. On the 14th, AlphaTauri revealed their livery, and just like last year, I can't help but think of a Reebok trainer when I look at it. I am a fan, though. It's uh, just a nice, calm thing to look at compared to the McLaren. It's, it's like looking into a lake after staring directly into the sun for an hour. It's a palate cleanser for the eyes. Come on, friends, get that slogan on the car, mate. Another thing I like about it, actually, is that the livery looks like it's been designed for the actual shape of the car it was going on. Like, the name of AlphaTauri down the side and the lines that go either side of the name are actually sculpted in design to the side pod shape. And I'm not sure anyone else has done that. It looks kind of like everyone else's livery and car were designed separately by separate teams and the livery would just go on whatever shape the aerodynamicist came up with. But I like, I like that. It's cohesive design. I don't know anything about design, but it's cohesive as fuck, which I imagine was the title of the brief. On the 15th, Williams carried on their two-year tradition of releasing and running a livery that looks like one of the first three that you could pick on an F1 game, both of which take a while to appreciate, but personally, I grew to like last year's, and I've grown to like this one. It must have had the biggest variance in how shit it looked on the demo car versus how great it looked on the actual car. But that's not a bad thing. It's not going on the show car, it's going on the real car. And I'm a fan of how simple it is, just mostly blue, little red line because it's British or whatever, and a big Williams logo on the back. Just a simple amount of paint to order. I like it. And the big bulging nose, taking me back to my incredibly hot bear in the big blue house costume that I had as a child. An image that should maybe one day be its own livery. I will be sending emails to all of the teams for 2023. On the 17th, Ferrari revealed what has to be in my top five liveries of all time. Maybe three. Maybe it's the best looking car there's ever been. I don't know. I think I'm about to be probably incredibly boring about this. The red and black combo is a winner. Beats the red and white that we've seen in the past. And... It most definitely beats the mostly red and random green thing, which has to have been the grossest thing on a car in the world. You know, one final green hurrah for the not-so-secret cigarettes before they finally got binned off. And now Ferrari, good for them, are only sponsored by healthy things like Spanish beer. I spent pretty much every day after it was revealed going back to stare at it for a bit, like a really sad little boy. But... Just staring and smiling, smiling and staring. And, and sometimes staring too intently and entering a sort of dread hole where I thought those scalloped side pods are going to go one way or the other, aren't they? They're going to be genius or a complete failure. And I'm still sceptical enough to believe it will be the latter and find out they'll be last. Hopefully not, though. On a bit of a side note, Independently of all of this, while all the liveries were being revealed and testing was taking place, I recently went to buy some new glasses because I'm a mildly visually impaired guy slash fashion icon and I have gone for a Mattia Bonotto level of round. I don't know whether I was subconsciously or just consciously influenced by him, 
but I now have Mattia Bonotto level of round glasses, which unfortunately, if you're not an Italian millionaire, make you look like a wizard who lives in a cupboard. So that's good. Thumbs up. But adding to this, I have recently had an urge to learn Italian since buying those glasses. So I've been a bit addicted to Duolingo in the last few days slash week. I've got a five-day streak. Pretty proud of it. Um, so hopefully, one day, I can be such a fanboy that I don't need the subtitles on all of Binotto's bits in Drive to Survive. I can just understand exactly what he's saying because I've been rinsing Duolingo for, well, it'll probably be 2032 by the time I get there because at the moment, all I know is various phrases like the woman drinks the water or the man eats chocolate custard. So it's going to be at least a decade. Um, for the record, l'uomo mangia la crema al cioccolato. I hope I never have to use that phrase, but I've got it. It's up there in the old language bank. On the 18th, Mercedes revealed their brand new silver livery, and it looks pretty sexy. I'm not sure whether I'm in the minority here, but I have to say I, I prefer the black one. I've always preferred the black one over the silver one, and I feel... I feel like I'm shouting into the abyss with that one, but, you know, I get it. New era of car, it's a good time to re-adopt your old look. It's the same reason why dads shave their heads when they start going bold. New era of boldness means returning to the hairstyle you had as a baby. It's all completely logical. Not to be all, I could do your livery better than you about it, but I'd also change the luminous yellow driver number. I'm sorry. Some people like it. It stands out. It doesn't match. It doesn't match for me. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense on lots of things, but just not that. It reminds me more of when you roll up behind a Valentino Rossi fan in his Citroen Picasso at the lights, you know? It's not on Lewis Hamilton's car. It's on a Citroen Picasso at the lights, no? On the 21st, Alpine saw everyone revealing just one groundbreaking livery each and said, hey, fuck you guys. We've got two. Ha! Unfortunately, both of them involve the same colours that don't match, but one's the other way around. I have really tried to get on board with the blue and the pink, but I think they clash too much. Is it that the colours opposite on the colour wheel go together? Is that how it works? I only did... I, I did art for as little time as possible at school. But... Because blue and pink are next to each other, aren't they, on the, on the colour wheel? That's proof in itself. It's not me saying they clash. It's the science of the colour wheel. And the colour wheel should be obeyed at all costs. And as with all these liveries, they get better the more you look at them. But I don't know. I'm struggling to tell whether that's them growing on you or you just get used to how much you hate it. I'm getting there with it. It, it, it looks better on track, but there's no doubt it looks like a gender reveal where the family friends have accidentally popped both of the giant balloons simultaneously. That's all I'm saying. And finally, on the 27th, Alfa Romeo turned up with the homework that was due last week saying, yeah, it's late, but all the answers are right because I had a chance to look at everyone else's. The retro Alfa font on the back is a winner. The white and red just works. They don't clash. They're friends on the color wheel. White is friends with everybody on the color wheel. And the Alfa and the Ferrari look, look good together. You know, they look like siblings. They look they look genuinely like two very different but amicable brothers. Sorry, fratelli. 
Thanks, Duolingo. Brothers who've got very different jobs, but who enjoy watching the football on a Sunday. That kind of thing. And another team that has taken the addition of wheel covers to heart. They're going to make use of those with little white and red triangles, which not only look good at a standstill, but I'm sure will do some sort of visual trickery to make it look like it's going even faster on the track. It sort of got me thinking, if I was in charge of one of these teams, and it's not completely out of the question, if my horoscope is to be believed, thank you, I'd have those rims that carry on spinning when you stop, that people put on their polos. Um, it's gangster, and it makes the need for a speedy pit stop almost essential, because the pit crew could very easily just have their arms ripped off. Something to think about. So there it is. All the liveries for the 2022 grid imagined, generated and painted, ready to go for the season. It is, overall, a sexy season for the cars and the paint jobs. I'm very happy with them. And I know that they were waiting for my approval before they got on with free practice and qualifying in Bahrain. <clears throat> Under the lights at Bahrain, by the way, it's going to look particularly sexy and uh, especially good on the buffering Now TV app that I watch F1 through. So that's good. But more importantly, how are the teams actually looking on the track? And what's the order going to be come Bahrain? That's a really good question that I've asked myself in a rhetorical style because I have neither the expertise or the crystal ball necessary to answer that question. It's pretty clear coming from Bahrain, even though you can't really tell anything, that there's two teams that are particularly good compared to everybody else. Ferrari and Red Bull got a shitload of laps in and it just seemed that whatever part of a run plan they were on, they were always... Well, Ferrari definitely always near the top of the timesheets. They're always either one, two or three in each session. That's got to be reassuring. They say they were focused on themselves and they've sort of taken a little bit of a mature um, approach rather than going for the glory runs like they have done in the past. I don't know how much of that is true. I would love to think it isn't because if they're hardly pushing at all and they've got a full tank of fuel on all those runs, then... They're going to absolutely brawn everybody this year. But we will see. Um, Red Bull sort of came out in the last couple of hours and suddenly looked all together and very fast. And the onboards... Well, the onboards of Max pushing in the last few hours sort of looked like he could push just as much as the car last year. Um, you know, he... He started off in Barcelona clearly adapting his driving style and I think Max's driving style, by the way, <clears throat> probably suits these cars a lot more. He's always, in comparison to, let's say, Hamilton, who they had a lot of comparisons with braking zones and that sort of thing last year, um, he was always he's always a brake early, fast out of corners. Slow in, fast out is Max's driving style and that might, I think, be even more beneficial to him in these cars. I think carrying a slightly higher speed through the slower corners where these cars lose all the time. If you get your speed down early and carry a bit more in the corner and out of the corner, that's probably the way to go. <clears throat> and it seemed a little bit as if Max was able to get a hold of the car in those last few laps. So we will see, but they look especially good. And they seemed, both of the teams seemed pretty calm, didn't they? Ferrari seemed 
fairly confident and obviously they talk themselves down as all the teams do, but they seemed pretty calm and confident and they just got on with what they needed to do and they didn't bring any upgrades. They just said, we're going to just optimise this car and they said that this optimising the car is essentially bringing an upgrade. So I, I like it. It seems quietly confident, which we haven't seen Ferrari in quite a while. So it's good. Um, Red Bull's talk of their side pods went away very quickly, didn't it? The first day, everyone thought, oh my God, Adrian Newey's done it again. And then Mercedes went, yeah, you think you've got special side pods. We ain't got none. Take that. How does that sound? Yeah, we'll figure out calling the car later. We've just got our, our friends, the rocket mechanics on it. They've got a special oil or a, a big radiator or something. And that that engine is going to be almost too cold. And when we go to the UK, when we when we were at Silverstone, we're, we're going to need to go back to our old radiator because it'll be too cold. That's how cool our engine is. All right. Other teams that looked pretty good. Mercedes are sort of theoretically third in the pecking order at the moment in most people's lists. They didn't look very good at any point, really. They've, you know, got quite a few laps in. There was just so much understeer, so much locking. And yeah, all the teams have gone through this, but I don't know, Mercedes just didn't look good for it at all. And they clearly had a lot of fuel on board for pretty much all their runs. And you can see from the from the top speeds at various points throughout qualifying that they they had no engine mode whatsoever turned on. So that's very interesting. So hopefully that they've they've got on board of their on top of their porpoising issues. Um and I don't doubt that them talking it down now means they're gonna come out and claim a one two in Bahrain and yeah, have a sort of Hamilton Rosberg slide uh, type title battle. Hopefully, that would be good, wouldn't it? But yeah, they didn't. They didn't look very good in testing. But nobody doubts Mercedes. Nobody is. Uh, I think if one team were really matching Ferrari and Red Bull, people would still put Mercedes third on that list because you just don't dare put them any further further down. Um, McLaren. When they were out on track, looked okay. They looked good, but they just weren't out on track very much. Didn't get many laps in. Had a lot of problems with brakes and and well, one of their drivers hasn't driven the car in a couple of weeks, so that's not very good. Um, you know, I I just sort of hoped that they would have it together a little bit more, but you never know. Maybe the tactic was. If we just keep this car in the garage, then nobody can see how good we actually are. And then we just turn up in Bahrain, take everybody out, one, two, ha. Fingers crossed, eh? Alpine. They occasionally turned up at the top of the timesheets. I wasn't sure they looked very good. Um, but they look okay. They look pretty good. Um... It's very hard with these sort of midfield teams to know where anybody is. Um, they all look very similar. They look like the gap in that in that four or five midfield team group is pretty much the same. Um, 
I saw Alonso a lot more during my watching of testing than Ocon. Alonso looked all right. I feel like his driving style may suit this as well in a sort of Max Verstappen-esque way. Um, he doesn't mind an understeery car, so these cars might help him because they have a lot more understeer than previous cars. Um, but I think once the teams get on top of setup a bit more, that won't necessarily be a problem. But they set a few a few quickest laps, but then Ocon had the second fastest time on the straights, so you n you never know. Alonso isn't even in the top fifteen on that list. This is a list, by the way. I'm just looking of um, a guy that tweeted it called Albert Fabrega. Albert Fabrega. So thank you for tweeting that. It's very useful information, and it does give you a pretty good insight into how much people are pushing. So Verstappen, on a couple of hot laps that he had at the end, set purple mini sectors and purple sectors all the way around the lap, and he had a top speed that was the fastest of anybody, 327.1 kilometres an hour. So they they gave it some beans at the end. Ferrari, on the other hand, they only pop up with Sainz at 11th at 321.7. And Leclerc isn't even in the top. Oh, no, he is. Leclerc's fifth, 325. So they had a, a little bit of a push, but not really. Ferrari is supposed to have made mad gains on their uh, on their power unit, so we will see. Um, Mercedes, 13th and 14th. Alfa Romeo, 9th and 15th. Norris was 7th, so they are slightly high up there. Unsurprisingly, Haas, Schumacher's 4th, and Magnussen is 6th. So they gave it a push. And then Stroll and Vettel are 10th and 12th. Aston Martin, by the way, I don't know. I don't think they look good at all. There was only one on board that I saw of Vettel that included him going round a corner or round at least one lap without it looking like he'd messed it up at some point. And not not his fault, obviously. The, the car just didn't look there at all. It was just so much understeer, so much locking. To to me, they look like they the worst they had the worst car for a lot of for a lot of testing. You know, a lot of people have put when people have revealed their top ten team predictions, they've put Williams last. And I didn't think Williams looked that bad. They didn't they didn't look amazing, but they they looked just a bit more stable, and they seem to be getting pumping the laps in um, in comparison to Aston Martin. But I think I think you, 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 it's like Mercedes. You struggle to put Aston Martin down as far as that on the list, but we'll see. Alfa Romeo look pretty good. They're going to benefit, as will Haas, from the upgraded Ferrari power unit. And the car looked pretty stable, apart from the, the gearbox. They've obviously gone... A lot lighter than everybody else. They've actually met the the weight limit. I think I think everybody else should suffer for the fact they haven't met the weight limit. By the way, I think that should be pretty obvious. Um, it seems weird to me that just because a load of teams can't meet the requirements, we then change the requirements. But that's sort of how it works. And 
alongside making it lighter, you apparently sacrifice um, a lot of reliability. So, but I think the the gearbox, the gearbox is a, an, a, an easy enough problem to solve. So hopefully they can get on top of that. Joe looked pretty good, and uh, Bottas looked fairly strong as he would. Um, who else have we got? Haas. Haas looked actually pretty good, and I think they've got a pretty good driver pairing now. Um, it's going to be good to see where Mick ends up alongside Kevin. Um, but they seem to, as someone said, they're, they're sort of three months ahead of everyone else in terms of development. So if they just carry on developing at the same rate as everybody else, I know that they haven't got as much money as they would have liked now, but if they can stay ahead on that development, I don't see why they can't be at least in the middle of the midfield, let alone maybe at the top, you know. I think people, after the last couple of years, struggle to see Haas at the top of the midfield. I think it's it's looking more possible. It's looking more possible. Let's see. Um, we've done Ferrari. We've done Red Bull. We've done Mercedes. We've done Aston. We've done Alpine. We've done McLaren. We've done Alfa Romeo. We've done Williams. We've done Haas. And we've done... No, we haven't. Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri are just one of the teams that look almost as good, if not exactly the same, as Alpine and maybe Aston Martin. I just have no idea with those people. I have no idea where they are. They, on some runs, looked pretty good. Sonoda's pretty good around here, as shown from last year. Um, so him, his onboards look pretty good. And he seems to have calmed down a bit growing up a little bit in the last year so it's only going to go well I have absolutely nothing to say about the car but I can tell you whether he's been swearing or shouting recently, that's that's all I've got so overall it looks like Ferrari and Red Bull have the upper hand, don't doubt the Mercedes can be there, the three A's Aston, Alpha, Tauri and Alpine, I have no idea uh, McLaren looked alright but didn't get many laps I wouldn't be surprised if they have reliability problems um Haas looked pretty good. Williams, I thought, looked better than people are giving them credit for, but maybe I've missed something there. Um, and Alfa Romeo looked all right. That's that's the list. That is the list. So let's see what happens in the qualifying and race in Bahrain. That's the only time that we're actually going to find out. It's all just been guesswork at this point. But I think if I was to make a top 10 list, I'd go Ferrari. And this is in terms of constructors, because I think Max looked on top of the car. I didn't see Sergio being as on top of it. So I think Ferrari just have the better driver pairing of being quite equal. So they'll be able to, you know, fight, if they're up there at least, um, a lot more equally. So I'm going to go Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, McLaren. That's pretty similar to everyone else's. And then I think I'm going Alpine. Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Haas, Alfa Romeo, Aston Martin. No, because then I'm ending up with Williams at the end. See, well, I think Williams end up at the bottom of lists because you you just forget about them until the end. It's a real shame. I think... I don't know. I thought Williams actually looked better than Aston Martin on a lot of occasions, but I struggle to put them higher up on the list. 
You know what? I'm putting Aston Martin last. There's my bold prediction. There it is. No one else has done it. I'm doing it. And I'm going to get shown up immediately. We'll see. So there is all of the teams and how they got on very briefly in testing. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to go into it, not only because lots of people have already done it, but because I'm instantly going to get proven wrong on so many counts that it's embarrassing. So let's just find out. I have a question for you, by the way. I don't know if anybody can answer this. If you can, f1morething at gmail.com, by the way. Has there ever been a season where so many teams have changed their liveries, or at least elements of their liveries, so much between them initially revealing it and the first race? Red Bull have changed theirs a little bit. I think the yellow on the nose is a bit shorter than it was at the reveal. Haas have changed their livery completely. McLaren have added loads of stuff to their livery since. Aston Martin have added loads of black bits to theirs. It seems as if everybody's put up, put up a draft livery first and then they've gone and changed it later. Maybe that's a thing that happens in lo- that's happened in lots of years. But if you could answer that, I'd love to know. Thanks very much. Before I go, a very quick word on Drive to Survive. Um, just finished watching it very recently. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of things I really liked about it. A lot of things I didn't. But I think it's it's good to have a a series like that on a season like that. It was an, a, an absolutely unbelievable season. And part of me can't really fathom how lucky we were to have actually lived to watch that. You know, it'll be something that future F1 fan generations are very jealous of. So... We should hold that dearly. But I mean, watching it back in a sort of documentary format really brings it home how sort of once-in-a-lifetime crazy it was. Um, And that last race and all the controversy that came with it just sort of looks inevitable when you put it in that format. It sort of... It was Hollywood and crazy already. um, But when you put it in a documentary format like that, it just looks as if all of that was building regardless and we all should have known kind of thing but you you can't you can't tell once you're watching it live um you can only guess and it it really brings back the feeling of watching that last race and that the contrast of everyone's emotions come the end of it you know it's nine tenths of the race was done and we we thought hamilton eight-time world champion confirmed we'd resigned ourselves to it and I was just picturing all of the social media posts and imagining the commentary line what and what it would be as he crossed the line. And the contrast of that to how it actually finished is madness, absolute madness. I mean, overall, I think the main things I take away from it are that the, the regulations were definitely not properly followed. Um, that's pretty obvious, but it wasn't Red Bull's fault. And it wasn't Max's fault. You know, as as Lewis said, Max did exactly what any driver would have done given the situation working out the way it did for him. Um, And I'm glad that things are being changed off the back of it because it was an unfortunate event for lots of people that don't normally watch F1 to have seen because as someone that is an F1 fan, you, you then end up sort of explaining yourself and explaining the sport in a way that you wouldn't like to do. You'd like people just to have watched it, thought it was amazing and go, yeah, you know what? I misjudged Formula One. 
What a show. And it wasn't entirely the case, was it? But there you go. The two separate stories of, of father and son on that day live were very touching. But also looking back, uh, incredibly emotional and, and sweet and... The sheer graciousness of Hamilton and his dad after the race is some of the best stuff you've ever seen. It's uh, it's great. And I think the look on Max's face when Lewis shakes his hand at the end, I think is the most sort of revealing of his true emotions towards Hamilton that he's ever given away. You know, he's obviously in a very emotional moment anyway, and so everything's quite heightened, but... That one facial expression, take a look back at it. I think you can tell the respect he has for Hamilton in that one facial expression. Sort of how impressed he is that he's getting a handshake in the first place and how grateful he is to have even been fighting with someone like Lewis. You know, It's been a long time coming for Max and I think he's been very patient in a Verstappen-esque way. Um, so he's, he's finally fighting the good fight up at the front, and I think he's happy about it. And I think he's just surprised that he's able to say that he's a world champion after fighting Lewis. I think in that one moment you go, ah, we like to think that Max is someone who always says what he thinks, but I don't think that's entirely true. I don't think anybody says everything that they entirely think, but I think in that moment he didn't really need to say it. We could see it, and uh, he probably wouldn't go that deep anyway, you know. So, let's leave 2021 there and look forward to 2022. Everything is brand new and there is lots to happen this season. I'm very excited for Bahrain. I hope you are too. Um, enjoy the weekend and thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure and it'll always be appreciated if you take the time to listen to my ramblings. Um, so, if you're so inclined... Give us a follow on the social medias. Just search for F1 More Thing, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Um, a new episode will be up and you will know about it as soon as possible. And uh, if you want, subscribe on your podcast feed so I know if I should still bother. I'm taking a look at the numbers if they are increasing. So do that just to let me know you're there. Thank you. And until next time, keep it flat out. Oh, no, hang on. Someone already does that. Uh... Until next time, follow all the local speed restrictions and take time to let cyclists and pedestrians cross in good time. That'll do. See you next time. <laughs>